I'm going to teach tonight on predestination like I have never taught on it before. I'm going to tell you why. Well, I kind of touched on it last week. But I'm going to tell you why I believe that most of the people in the world do not believe in predestination. Uh, I was in a store this past week. Am I on there, Mike? Okay, I was in a store, and I had on this shirt. Y'all all seen me wear it. God does not love everybody. Well, the store owner, which was a little bitty small store, uh, they looked kind of puzzled, and and uh, they had all kinds of little signs around that said pray, pray to God. It had all these real religious things in the store. And like they, they're just real religious. And uh, I said, y'all probably don't know what this means. God does not love everybody. I said, it has a Greek meaning. They were looking at me with glassy eyes. And I said, God does not love everybody. He loved Jacob and hated Esau before they were born, before either one had done any good or evil. So I began to explain it to them. And uh, I felt like they were resenting it. Found out later they hated it. And uh, I said, uh, the word, there's two words for love in the Bible. Two common words. One is the word phileo. The other is the word agape. I said, whenever I'm saying God does not love everybody, he does not agape everybody. Now, that's the noun, and the verb is A-G-A-P-E-O, agapeo, or agapao. And those are the two noun, and this is the verb. And I said, agape was a relationship. I said, this is not phileo. Now, I'm saying this out loud to him. Phileo means to have affection for. But I said, agape has to do with the relationship that fathers had for their families and kings had for their subjects. They gave them laws and they willingly walked in them. And I said, that's what Second John 6 says. This is love. This is agape, that we walk after his commandments. I said, phileo means to have affection. You can like I like God, I like my wife, I like my car, I like to get drunk, I like to take drugs. You can like anything. I like my dog. Well, you can have affection for anything, but I said, agape only belongs to the children of God. Then I said to him, I said, God loved Jacob. He gave him his agape, gave him his commandments. And that's exactly what happened in that 18th, 19th, and 20th, on up through the 27th, 28th chapter of Exodus, where that Moses went up on the mountain, he gave his commandments to Israel. Jacob's name was changed to Israel in that 32nd chapter. I told him all of this, and he just was staring at me. And me and Mary left, went out to the car. He came out to the car. And I rolled my window down. He said, 
We're not a Calvinist here. We don't believe in Calvinism. He said, I don't care what you say. Uh, we believe that God looked ahead in time. And this is what a lot of these people will tell you. We believe he looked ahead in time and saw that Jacob would believe and accept him. And I would say, I'd tell him, but God hated Esau before it's born. He wouldn't even address God hating. And that's what the Bible says. And I want to show you why I believe these people hate God. I believe, I don't believe that that guy said, I've been born again by the grace of God. I don't believe that. If God says something, we have to believe it. It, whether you want to deal with it. And I kept saying, but God loved Jacob and hated Esau. He wouldn't even address that. He'd say, God looked ahead in time and saw who would come to him and who wouldn't. That's a stupid, stupid statement. Because God knows who's going to come to him because he chose his people from the foundation of the world. That's what he did. He chose us in him. And I don't understand how a man can call himself saved and say he hates a God that hates. He was implying that he hated the God that I serve. He said, I forbid you to come in this store again with those shirts on like that. Okay, I won't come back in your store. You don't have anything I want to buy anyway, just... Mary wanted to go by there and see what kind of knickknacks they had. But he was extremely arrogant. And I kept trying to say, well, he hated Esau and he loved Jacob before they were born. That's what the Bible says. If you try to make an excuse for God, you know why people try to make excuse for God? Because they want him to be just. They want God to be innocent. They say, God is not to blame for evil. He's not to blame. Well, he's not to blame. God is the cause of evil. And he is never evil. And you don't have to justify him. He's just when he sends all the people to hell, he sends to hell. He's just. I just, that has bothered me that the guy was such a hardhead he wouldn't listen to anything that I was saying. He was talking over me, covering over me, just saying, we don't want you in here. We don't like Calvinists. We don't believe in Calvinism. I said, I'm not a Calvinist either. I studied the Bible long before I ever read John Calvin. John Calvin wasn't a Calvinist. You know why I can tell you that? Because you don't name a movement after somebody till after they're dead. Calvinist cropped up after Calvin, John Calvin was dead. I'm not a Calvinist. I am a Paulist. I am a Godist. G-O-D-D-I-S-T, I guess. I believe in God's word above anything else. I don't care whether my mother liked it and she didn't like it. I was riding down the road with her. I'm about 32 or 33. I said, Mama, I want to talk to you about predestination. She said, don't you talk about that in the car with me. If you start talking about that, I'm going to make you get out of the car. And my mother wasn't a mean person. When you started talking about predestination, she got mean. If you don't believe in a God that hates, you don't believe God because he said he hates. I want you to look over here with me. 
I'm going to come back to Romans 8 and 29, and I'm going to go to Romans 9. And I'm going to go through it slow so you can understand. Look over here in Psalms, uh, Psalms 139, 21. Psalms 139. Now, this is David's words. Now, if you don't believe that God hates, you don't believe David, the psalmist. Psalms 139, verse 21. David is talking about, this is a psalm about David praises God for his all-seeing providence. Providence is what God is providing for in life. His providence, providence means everything that has been ordained and laid out. And he starts off here. He, let's read some of this. I know thou hast searched me. I know me and known me. You've known me. That's what predestination is about. Whom he did foreknow. Foreknow, prognosco. Now here's what these people will say. The Bible says, whom he did foreknow. These are the ones he also did predestinate. And these people will say, well, God foreknew everything that would happen, so he knew that down the line, Jacob would accept him as his personal savior. <laughs> Jacob was a scoundrel. It wasn't because God saw the evil in Esau. You don't have hardly much accounts of Esau's evil in the Bible, but you've got a lot of accounts of Jacob lying and stealing before God dealt with his heart. I may even show you some of those tonight. You've known me, thou knowest my down-sittings, mine uprisings. Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. You ordered my mouth, the Scripture says in Proverbs 16 and 1. You ordered me to say the things that I've said. Proverbs 16 and 1 says, The preparations of the heart in man... And the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. That's Proverbs 16 and 1. Your mouth will say the things that God wants it to say. And it says in that same text, well, it says, verse 2, All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the Spirit weigheth the, the, the Lord weigheth the spirits. He says in verse 4 of chapter 16, And the Lord hath made all things for himself, Yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. He's made wicked men, so when the day of evil comes, it'll be in their heart to do the evil they do. People want to justify God. Let's get back to Psalms here. I got so many things I want to say. They want to justify their by God. By their opinion that 
they say, I have an opinion about how God is, and I just don't think he'd be evil enough to create evil. He said, I create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. People are trying to justify the Lord. Let's read. Let's go back here to 169. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain to it because I don't understand you, God. That's what he's saying. Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy great hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be a light about me. Everywhere I go, you're there, Lord. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. You see in the dark. For thou hast possessed my reins. The word reins, kilia, K-I-L-Y-A-H, it means mind. K-I-L-Y-A-H. Kilia. You possess my reins. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. The word covered, you remember that third chapter of Galatians? You covered me, protected me until I got to faith. Sakak, C-A-K-A-K. You have fenced me in in the womb, defended me and hedged me in so I can be what you want me to be. I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee. Everything in our lives he knows because he's ordained it all. When I was made when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned when as yet there was none of them. God made us the individuals we are, so he could convict our hearts, those of us that are elect. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I wake, I am still with thee. Boy, this is a great psalm, isn't it? Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. The wicked, well, he made them for the day of evil. Is that what God wants to do? God wants the people to go to hell to go to hell because he hates them. He doesn't love everybody. If he loves you, 
He scourges you. That that 12th chapter of Hebrews said, He scourges every son he receives so we can be partaker of his holiness. He don't scourge the whole world. He only scourges the few that belong to him. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men, for they speak against thee wickedly. They say they don't believe what you said, and then they turn around and call themselves Christians. And thine enemy take thy name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee. David said, I hate those that don't love your word. And am I not grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with a perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. The Bible says friendship with the world is enmity against God. Enmity, ekthra, is E-C-H-T-H-R-A. If you're friends with the world, you are an enemy of God. That means hostile. You're hostile to God, James 4 and 4. You're an enemy of God if you hate his word. You don't have to be a bank robber or be a, uh, or be a murderer or be somebody that goes around lying all the time. Well, that's one of the worst things to be a liar. But the only way you can become truth in truth, you have to be born of God. And that's by His will. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And if there be any wicked way in me, lead me in the way everlasting. God hates, and David said he hated the people that God hates. Now, all through the Psalms and Proverbs, God says, I hate them. I love them that hate. There's people that David said, I can't love them that hate the Lord. And then in uh, all that hate me will whisper against me. That's in Psalms 41 and 7. And the Bible says in Psalm 69 and 4, they hate me without a cause. And when you hate God, you hate his word. He says in ye that love the Lord in Psalms 97 and 10, hate evil. And then in Psalms 160, Psalms 101.3, I hate the work of them that turn away from God. Then he says in Psalms 118.7, See my desire upon them that hate me. God says they hate me for no reason, and I hate them. I hate vain thoughts, he says in Psalms 119.113. I hate and abhor lying in Psalms 119.163. God, all through the Psalms and Proverbs, you need to read them. God doesn't love everything and everybody. He only loves his family, nobody else. And people that want to fight against God's word, they're very wicked people. Now, turn back over here to Romans 9, uh, Romans 8. I would keep talking to this guy and I'd tell him, but God loved Jacob and hated Esau. Now, Here's what they'll do. They'll twist God's word to mean something that it doesn't mean. 
That's what they do. Look here in in Romans 9. Uh, Romans 8. Romans 8, 29. 8 and 29. Well, let's read 28 and 29. For we know that all things work together for good, for agathos, for a benefit, to them that love God. To them that agape God. Now, if you don't agape God and you're not walking in his commandments, God says, I don't even like you. People talk about unconditional love. There's no such thing as unconditional love. When Jesus said in John 15, he said, you are my friends, my my philos. You're my friends. If, well, look at that over there. I want this to get into your head. Look in John 15. John 15. Look at verse, well, let's read a few verses of this. This is my commandment that you love one another in verse 12. Love there is agape, that you walk in God's commandments concerning each other. As I have loved you, as I have given my commandments to you and walked in them, greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for those that he's affectionate to, those that are his friends, to die for your friends. Then he says here, Ye are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. That's a condition. You, I will have affection for you if you do my commandments. Now, if you define doing the commandments of God, what's one word that you would use to define that? One word. Agape. You, I will have affection. Philos, friend, comes from the word phileo. I will only be affectionate to you if you're obedient to me. Agape is not unconditional love. It's not true. Phileo is not unconditional love. When you hear people say, unconditional love is agape, you're ignorant. You have to be doing these things. The Bible says, He that doeth truth cometh to the light. He that doeth righteousness is righteous. There in 1 John 3 and 7, He that doeth righteousness. But when you do righteousness, you're asking for trouble. If you do righteousness, you're righteous. But the Bible says, Blessed are ye when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. You're hungering, and blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. You're hungering for righteousness. Hunger. I'll get it right in a minute. You're hungering to be persecuted. What you're doing, you're hungering for righteousness regardless of the cost. 
you're hungering for truth regardless of the cost. So the only way Jesus will be your friend and be affectionate to you is if you walk in his commandments or you're obedient to agape. Now, go back over here. I'm going to take take this slow. It has bothered me for a long time why men, I really believe I'm zeroing in on it, what they don't want, they don't want in their 20th century state of mind, 21st century state of mind, they don't want God to be unfair. So they've got it in their head. It would be unfair for God to send somebody to hell on purpose. And they think you're calling God an unfair God. He said, I hate. If you believe that, if you, if you don't believe that God hates, then you don't believe God. You, in order to believe God, in order to believe that grace he showers his grace upon you. Grace, charis, means unmerited favor. You didn't do anything to merit grace because you got a wicked heart. Anybody who thinks they have to be saved by their own righteousness by walking down an aisle are accepting Christ, which is not true. They have to believe God. But if you believe God, you're going to believe that he hates. God hates. He hates unrighteous people. He hates our unrighteous works. That's why he beats us for a long period of time until we get over that, that outer man, which is... which walks after the flesh, and the inner man is going to war against that outer man. That's Christ in you. And I don't believe most Christians believe this. They don't believe there has to be a battle going on between yourself and yourself. That's the big fight. It's between me and me. It's not between me and the world. If I can get over me, I can get over the world. Because I'm not going to pay attention to what people say to me or about me. And I'm getting to where I got, let me see, about four hours to be 79. <laughs> I'm going to be an old man about midnight. If I all of a sudden turn into <clears throat> these long hairs start coming out gray and my jowls fall down, that's because I turned old. Yeah, turned 80, midnight. Anyway, let's go back over here to Romans 9. I don't think we understand what we're up against. People don't like it when you make God unfair as far as their 20th, 21st century reasoning. They reason that out, think, well, I wouldn't send somebody to hell on purpose, so therefore God wouldn't. You know what they're doing they're thinking with their fleshly mind. I've got to read something to you before I go there. Go back to Isaiah. God says the reason, Isaiah 55th chapter, here's why you think you know how I am, God says. When you believe God, you don't try to figure God out. You just say, gosh, I know he said he created evil and he, and he works all things after the counts of his own will. 
What does all things mean? It means all things, everything. If God's declared the end from the beginning, Isaiah 46 and 10, from the beginning and from ancient times, everything that's not yet done in our lives, what does that include? Tickets, breaking your leg, getting fired from your job. It means everything. He's declared everything and everything that's not yet done. He's declared it when it comes tomorrow. And you're going through something you don't like? Well, tell God about it. Argue with Him. He's the one that's doing it. Don't like being young? Too bad. You got to go through all that living just like I did. And your heart's got to break a thousand times and you got to get sick enough you think you're going to die a dozen times. I've been on my deathbed. I swore I was on it about six or eight times. I thought I was dying. And I found out that God's doing that too to get my attention. Everything you go through, you can't arrive one day. You got to cry a lot of tears and hurt a lot and agonize and think, why am I alive? And, oh, God, just kill me and take me out of here. I've been there. I'm still there to a degree. When you get old, this is the way you think. I, I tell people once in a while, I want to go be with Jesus. I'm ready to go. I said that to a lady in, up here in the market the other day, and she said, oh, don't talk that way. That's so negative. I said, you don't understand. I don't mean I want to die and go lay in a casket and be dead. I really want to be in Jesus' presence. I'd rather be there with him than here with you. You got that? Because I won't have a sick body when I'm there. I won't have to go to the doctor. I won't have to have therapy for my heart attack or for my, or anything. I just will be happy and content. I see. I really believe that. But you don't get to believe in that till you get old. This is the way it is. Look over here in Isaiah fifty-five. Look at verse six. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Now, he's only writing this to believing Israel, but Isaiah's prophesying to Israel in their apostasy because they have fallen away and gone after Baal in the grove and all those gods. Let the wicked Israelite forsake his way. Well, he wouldn't tell the vessels of wrath to forsake their ways, would he? No. And the unrighteous man, his thoughts... This guy that I met the other day is very unrighteous because he thinks he knows how God is and he doesn't care how he is. Well, it's my opinion God won't ever hurt anybody. And let him return unto the Lord. How could he return if he wasn't there? He's not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to believers. And he will have mercy upon him and to our God he will abundantly pardon for my thoughts are not your thoughts. You can't think the way I think. That's what he's saying. If you think that somebody shouldn't go to hell and that I don't hate, then you're thinking wrong. You think that babies over there in Africa shouldn't be slaughtered and God is the one that has them slaughtered. 
if they haven't come to an accountable age, they'll go to heaven to be with the Lord. If they don't know right from wrong when it comes to sin, those babies that are slaughtered over there will go be to be with Jesus. Neither are my ways your ways, saith the Lord. That word way and ways there is the word direct. When that is translated into the Greek in the Septuagint, it's translated odos. Jesus, this is Jesus talking to Israel. He said, my hodos is not your hodos. My hodos is narrow. And you think everybody needs to be fairly treated and everybody needs to be given a chance to go to heaven. There are no chances. I don't see how God could make a man without programming his mind. His Well, his very thoughts... The Bible says, man devises his way, but the Lord directs his steps. He says, I will go this way. And God says, no, you won't. You'll go that way. No, if you won't, you'll turn around and go back the other way. And God arranges our lives to do what he wants us to do. Now, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts and your thoughts. Next time, if you're one of those people that thinks, well, God wouldn't do that. You hadn't read the Bible. He hates. Instead of thinking, I just don't think God would do that. You need to throw yourself on the ground and ask for the mercy of God upon your life. Oh, God, thank you for your mercy. Instead of saying, I don't think God would send somebody hell on purpose. Who do you think is going to send them to hell? They can't send themselves to hell. God programs them so they will sin and never repent. David said, my mind is fixed. God has fixed my mind. He's fixed the minds of all the believers. And all the unbelievers are vessels of wrath, fitted to destruction. Fitted, Tidzo. <laughs> Romans 9.22, they're fully accomplished to go to hell. And see, when you say things like this to the common person out here in the world and some preacher's watching, well, I don't know who you think you are judging these people. I'm not judging anybody. The Bible says they're a catotizo, fully accomplished for destruction. I love Second Peter even a little better than this one. Second Peter 2.12 These as natural brute beasts are made to be taken and destroyed. I like that word made because it's not the word made, it's the word gania. Gania comes from the word ganesis, G-E-N-N-E. E-S-I-S, which is our word Genesis. It means nativity. And we we also have the word G-I-N-O-M-A-I, which means to cause to be. It means to exist. They were birthed, their nativity, they were born, and they came alive in this world just so they could seek the flesh and then die, and God could send them to hell, and that was their only purpose.
I'll tell you what that does. That makes me want to get on my face and say, thank you, God, for convicting my heart. Because he simply chose who he wants to choose to convict. Now, for as the rain cometh down and snow from heaven and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth and make it its make it bring forth bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth, it shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish my word will accomplish that which I please. God's going to do as he pleases. Our God sits in the heaven, Psalms 110.3, and he done whatsoever he hath pleased. He's doing his pleasure. Pleasure comes from the word please. Ephesians 1.11. We have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his own will. All things means everything that's going on in your life and mine. Boy, Jim, you never have cried like I have. I've cried a million tears. I used to, when I couldn't have my way in the music world, I just would cry and I'd get mad and scream and yell. I just wanted what I wanted. I didn't care. I didn't care what anybody else did or said. I wanted what I wanted. Has anybody else been like that? <laughs> I wanted what I wanted. Until God makes you content with such things as you have, you have to get old to realize you got to quit fighting God. Every time we get frustrated, every time we get just wrapped up in ourselves, we're not fighting the world. When you fight your neighbor or you're fighting somebody, they get some promotion on the job before you do, and you were there longer, more years. You're not fighting that person. You're fighting God. That was God's will that they put there before you were. And accomplish that which I please and shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. That's what my word will do. For you shall go out with the joy and be led forth with peace and the mountains and hills shall bring forth before you in singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. That's the way you'll feel when you start accepting God's thoughts instead of yours. I read the Bible. I don't try to figure it out. If he says, I make peace and create evil, I the Lord do all these things. What's so amazing, if you look at that in Isaiah 48, just a few pages back, See, you hear men say, men are trying to make excuse for God. They want to find him blameless. They want to justify God. Justify. God doesn't need your thinking to justify him. D-I-K-A-I-O-O. To render innocent. But see, men think they know what innocent is. God is completely innocent when he creates hell and creates men to go there. He wants them there. I quoted that verse in Romans 9. 
22 for a long time and didn't really see it until I got older. God willing to show his wrath, except it's not his wrath, it's the wrath of the people. It's definite article, the feminine gender, the tau, ada, or gay. God wants to show the or gay. Or gay is feminine gender. It's man's rage and anger. And he wants to show their wrath, their anger. It's feminine because Babylon was the mother of harlots, mother of all idolatry. So when you have a feminine or gay, God wants that to be shown and exhibited to the world so he can destroy it and make his power known. You know what I do that's wrong to these other people? I notice all the details of a verse or of a sentence. Now, look over here in Romans 9. And this is what these guys will say. It's what this guy was saying the other day. Well, God foreknew. That's not this word here. In Romans 9, Romans 8, 29. Romans 8 and 29. For whom he did foreknow. They will say, see, God knew what would happen. God knew that somewhere down here that Jacob would accept him. Jacob was as evil outside of Christ as anybody. He was a thief and a liar, and he was always doing something wrong until God struck him down on his way back from the land of Haran. He stole from his father, lied to him, lied to his brother, stole his birthright, lied to his father-in-law. He was always, and when he was coming back from Haran, the reason he ends up over here in Haran, just stop and think about this. The reason he ends up Haran is, let me get over here. Haran is over here on this Euphrates River area. This right here is Iraq. That was Babylon in the ancient world. And, And, of course, Jacob runs away from Jerusalem about 650 miles away. The reason I went up here is because the Arabian Desert is all in here, and he couldn't run through here. The only reason he ran away is because in that 27th chapter of Genesis, he, when his brother came in from... Let me show you how bad he was. Turn over to that 25th chapter of... Show you how bad Jacob was. When the Bible said, and somebody will say, well, God knew uh, Jacob's future and God knew Esau's future when he said he loved Jacob and hated Esau. Well, if he went by what Jacob did, he'd have put Jacob in hell because he was a liar and a scoundrel. Let's just look at Jacob here. In Genesis 25, now, Jacob is second born. 
He comes out of his mother's womb, fair-skinned. His brother Esau comes out of her womb. They were twins and comes out of her womb all hairy and red all over. And his brother goes out hunting one day. And in the 25th chapter, they're born in that 25th chapter. Uh, Let me go ahead and read some of the front of this. Look at verse 21. Well, let's look at 19. These these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begat Isaac. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padanaram and sister to Laban, who's going to be Jacob's father-in-law, his first cousin, Rachel, and Leah's going to be his wives. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. She couldn't have children. And the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Now, this is quoted in Romans 9. And the children struggled together within her, and she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb. Out of, out of Jacob will come Israel. His name will be changed to Israel. And twelve sons he'll have. Two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. Out of Esau will come the Arab people. And one people shall be stronger than the other people. And the elder shall serve the younger before they were born. For either one had done any good or evil. God says, this is how I hated Esau and how I loved Jacob. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red all over like a hairy garment. They called his name Esau which means red. It comes from Edom, meaning red. And after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold on Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was threescore years old. He was 60, and he was 40 when he married Rebekah. When she bare them, and the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field, and Jacob was a plain man, dwelling in tents, And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison. And Rebekah loved Jacob. She was a mama's baby. He was. And Jacob sawed pottage and Esau came from the field and he was faint. And Jacob could care less. He didn't care nothing about him. He's not going to have any mercy on him. And Esau said to Jacob, feed me, I pray thee, with that red pottage for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright, and I'll give you something to eat. He's a rascal doing that. His brother's hungry. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die, and what profit shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob said, Swear to me this day. And he swore unto him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. And when Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, he did eat and drink and rose up 
and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Now the next day, next day is chapter 27. And Rebekah comes to Jacob since she favors him and says, Go unto your dad and have your dad bestow the birthright upon you. It has to come from him. So you're going to have to have these two witnesses. So in chapter 27, he came unto his father and said, Father, and he said, Here am I, who art thou, my son? And Jacob lied through his teeth. And Jacob said unto his father, I am Esau, thy firstborn. Rascal. Going to get going to get the inheritance officially given to him from his father. I have done according to thy badest me. Arise, I pray thee, sit and eat of my venison, that thy soul may bless me. And Isaac said unto him, How is it thou hast found it so quickly, my son? And he said, Because the Lord thy God brought it to me. You lying liar, liar, pants on fire. And Isaac said unto Jacob, Come near, I pray thee, that I may feel thee, my son, whether thou be my son Esau or not. I don't believe Jacob was I don't believe Isaac was fooled. And Jacob went near unto Isaac his father, and felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice. But the hands are the hands of Esau. And he discerned him not, because his hands were hairy as his father Esau's hands, so he blessed him. And he gave him the birthright, and once it was given, it could not be withdrawn. And it was because Jacob was a lying scoundrel. He's cheating his brother. Don't think everything you read is real godly in the Bible. There's some guys lying and cheating all through the, way through the Bible. And then, of course, what I want us to do, go back over here to Romans 9. I, this would be a time to read over here in Romans 9 in verse, in verse 6. The very last sentence, For they are not all Israel, which are of Israel, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children. But in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Isaac was raised from the dead loins of his father, the dead womb of his mother. They couldn't have children, but they had him. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of promise are counted for seed. And this is the word of promise. At this time will I come, and Sarah shall have a son. And it's talking about Isaac. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by her father Isaac, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good, good or evil. Let me read that again. For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil. When people say, well, God looked ahead in time and saw 
uh, Jacob and Esau and saw Jacob would accept him. Jacob was a rascal beforehand. He always was. That the purpose of God according to election might stand. If if God should have loved anybody, it should have been Esau, not Jacob. If you want to go by man's rational reasoning, it wouldn't have been Jacob he loved. That the purpose, prothesis, pro meaning before, tithime, um, excuse me, for, not before, for, for, T-I-T-H-E-M-I, that means laid out for, it's like a track, that the purpose of God according to election, E K eclectos to favor. God favored Jacob even though he did not deserve it. Well, let me ask you this. Did you, did you deserve it, God's favor when God picked you out to learn the truth? Who deserved the favor of God? Nobody. Was Esau worthless? Yeah. But God somehow showed us just how worthless Jacob was. Jacob stole his brother's birthright. And he ran a long way. His mother said, you need to go over there to the land of our fathers. So he goes over here to Babylon. It's about 650 miles. Long way from his brother's wrath. After 20 years or so, Jacob, God touches Jacob's heart. And he heads back over to over here to Israel. He's coming back to Israel, and I'm going to show you how guilty he felt. Boy, did he ever feel guilty. Go to the 32nd chapter of, of Genesis. Now he's coming back, and he's going to bring some gifts to his brother to appease his anger and rage. Jacob feels Esau's going to kill me when I get back over there. And so what he wants to do shows you what a cheat he is. And God strikes him down and converts him on his trip coming back. Now, these people that will say, God saw Esau and he saw uh, Jacob and he saw uh, Jacob would accept him as his savior. Jacob was... Jacob knew how guilty he was. He stole his brother's birthright. That means only one person in the family could have, could inherit everything. Remember I told you that Ephraim in his day inherited, had the inheritance of Israel. Only one person, and that meant that he had to take care of the other brothers and sisters. So that would mean that Jacob was going to be in charge, excuse me, that well, Jacob was going to be in charge and his brother Esau was going to have to depend on him for food and anything else. Now, so he's headed back all through this 
chapter. He's headed back to... He's on a trip coming from Heron over here, headed back home. And look how he's coming. He's bringing sacrifices to appease his brother's wrath. And it's been at least 20 years since he was running. When he left Israel in the 28th chapter, he was running for his life, afraid his brother was going to kill him for stealing his birthright. And his brother would have had every reason to kill him. He was stealing, in essence, what we would say millions of dollars. Stealing all of his all of his goods. Now they're headed back to Israel. Verse 13, chapter 32. And he lodged there that same night and took of that which came to his hand a present to Esau, his brother. He wants to assuage that anger and rage. 200 she-goats, 20 he-goats, 200 ewes, ewe lambs, 20 rams, 30 milk camels with their coats. Boy, he's he's loading up. He's going to say, if this don't appease Esau, I don't know what will. And these people who say they looked ahead, and God looked ahead and saw how good Jacob was being. Jacob wasn't good. God had to make him good. Forty kind, ten bulls, twenty she-asses, ten foals, and he delivered them into the hand of his servants, every drove by themselves, and said unto his servants, Pass over in front of me. Get in front of me. I got to have protection. He thinks these gifts will protect him and put a space betwixt drove and drove. And he commanded the foremost, saying, When Esau my brother meeteth thee and asketh thee, saying, Whose art thou, and whither goest thou, and whose are those before thee? Thou shalt say, They be thy servant Jacob's. It is a present sent unto my lord Esau. He's calling him his lord, his ruler. And behold also, he's behind us. Jacob's bringing up the rear because he doesn't want to get killed when you see him right off the bat. And so commanded he the second and the third. You got these droves. They're all being separated, saying, On this manner shall you speak unto Esau when you find him. And say ye moreover, Behold, thy servant Jacob is behind us. He's putting a lot of space between himself and meeting Esau just in case he might have to run for his life. For he said, I will appease him. That's an interesting word, appease. Kafar. That's the word atonement. I will perhaps atone and cover his face with a gift that goes before me and he won't be angry enough to kill me. People say, God looked ahead and saw how Jacob was going to accept him. Jacob wasn't nothing until God got a hold of him. 
I appease him with the present that goes before me. I'll cover his face. And afterwards I will see his face for adventure. Maybe he will accept me then. Maybe he'll get over his anger after 20 years. So went the present over before him and himself lodged that night in the company. And he rose up that night and took his two wives and his two women servants and his 11 sons and passed over the four Jabbok. And he took them and sent them over the brook and sent them over that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And he has this great encounter with God. And there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, Jacob didn't prevail. He touched the hollow of his thigh and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him and Jacob becomes a cripple from then on. And this is the angel of God. And the angel said, let me go for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go except you bless me. This is Jacob talking. And he said unto him, what is thy name? Jacob said, Jacob, Jacob, heel catcher, one who trips people up. That's what his name means. And the angel said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. So he becomes Israel at this point. And the 12 sons, he's had 11 so far. Until he gets back to Bethlehem, his 12th son Benjamin won't be born. He's got 11 with him as he's traveling. For as a prince hast thou power over God, and with men and hast prevailed. Israel means to prevail with God. Why would God do that? Just simply out of mercy, out of grace. Jacob had nothing in him to cause him to have redeeming qualities. Nothing. He was a rascal. Jacob asked and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask my name? And he blessed him. Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. This is where Jacob's conversion was. And as he passed over Penuel, the sun arose upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. Therefore, the children of Israel eat not of the sinew which shrank. Jacob was hobbling along for the rest of his life, which is upon the hollow of his thigh unto this day, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh in the sinew that shrank. Now, next chapter, he meets Esau. He is scared. Does he have a right to be scared? Yeah, he was a... He was a, I keep calling him a scoundrel. That's what he was. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and... 400 men, enough to destroy Jacob and all that he had. And he divided the children unto Leah, unto Rachel, unto the two handmaids... And he put the handmaids and their children foremost. And Leah and her children, he didn't love her as much after. And him and Rachel brought up the rear.
because he wanted to make sure if Esau wasn't going to accept his sacrifice and his appeasement, he'd have a way to get out of there. And he passed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times. He feels guilty, and he should, until he came near unto his brother Esau. Now, which one of these guys did it look like God should love? Wouldn't be Jacob, would it? No. And Esau ran to meet him and embraced Jacob. Boy, you go, how, Esau, how are you doing this? It shows you the picture of the grace of God, even in Esau. And fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. I can't read this without getting emotional. And he lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children and said, Who are these with you, Jacob? And he said, The children which God hath given, graciously given thy, thy servant. He keeps calling himself your servant. Then the handmaidens came near and their children and they bowed themselves and Leah also with her children came near and bowed herself and after came Joseph near and Rachel and they bowed themselves. And he said, What meanest thou by this great drove and all of these cattle which I I met? And Jacob said, They are to find grace in the sight of my Lord you, Esau. Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep that thou hast unto thyself. Jacob said, Nay, I pray thee, if now I have found grace in thy sight, then receive my present at my hand, for therefore I have seen thy face as though I had seen the face of God, and thou wast pleased with me. Now I pray thee my blessing that is brought to thee because God hath dealt graciously with me and because I have enough. And he urged him and he took it. Now let's go over here, back over to Romans 9. People who say, well, God looked ahead and saw how righteous Jacob was. He did not. He was a, he was a devil in disguise before that meeting with God. And he was just begging Esau to forgive me. I've been such a liar and such a thief. That's not the only thieving he did. He stole his brothers. He stole his father-in-law's cattle. Marked them where he could steal them. So, now let's go back to Romans 9. When Rebecca, verse 10, when Rebekah had conceived by one, even by her father Isaac, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil. You can't say that about Jacob after he has in his dealings with Esau, can you? You can't say that at all about Jacob. That's talking about before, let me repeat that. Before they were born, neither having done any good or evil. That the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said to Rebekah, the elder, 
before they're born. Read that that 25th chapter of Genesis again. The elder shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. The purpose of God had told an election might stand not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her in Genesis, the 25th chapter, The elder will serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Now, where is that written, Jacob have I loved? It's written in Malachi, the first chapter. Read that. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. First chapter. This is quoted from Malachi. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. This is to Israel. I have loved you, saith the Lord. Yet you say, Wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Jacob, was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau. But that was before they were born. How are you going to get around that? You and I kept saying that to this fellow in that store. I said, God loved Jacob and hated Esau. He didn't even want, before they were born, he didn't want to deal with that. You can't get anybody to deal with that. They'll just say, well, God saw what Jacob would be in the future. Yeah, he saw that he would be a rascal. And laid his mountains waste and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Now, go back over here. Got a couple other things on hating. As is written, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Look at Psalms 31 and 6. Has anybody ever given y'all excuses as to why God didn't hate anybody? It always, they're trying to justify the Lord. If God's going to have any hate, he's going to have to invent it. Psalms 31, 6. Thirty-one six. How much time do I have, Mike? 23. All right. 31, 6. I have hated them. Them is a pronoun. Them is talking about that regard lying vanities but I trust in the Lord. David's saying, I hate those that... Re- I don't hate the lying vanities. I hate them. And look over here in Hosea nine fifteen. <coughs> Hosea. You, if you don't love a God that hates, you don't love God of the Bible. You have to love a God that hates and accept the fact that he hates. Hate, when he said, I hated Esau, (coughs) the word is sonal. It looks like sane. It's it's pronounced sonal, S-A-W-N-A-W. It means to detest or despise. 
God said, I hated Esau before he was born. I despised him. But God made him evil. Can God do what he wants to do? People say, I just don't think God would do that. The Bible says, who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? Or who hath been his counselor? You going to tell God what he can do and what he can't do? Who made hell? That's what I want to know. Who made it? I don't think the devil made it, did he? The devil said, I'm making this place hell so I can go and live there forever. No. Who made the law? Thou shalt not. God. Who made us of this fleshly bodies that is full of sin? Unless you're an unless you're made of something else. Why didn't he make us out of formica? Why? That way we could never sin. We'd want not want to fulfill formica unless we wanted to get some polish and put it all over ourselves or something. If God made hell and he made a law and said, Thou shalt not and you can't keep from breaking it and when you break it you'll die, Adam. The day you eat thereof you will die. He didn't say if you eat, he you will eat. He's made of corruption. Hosea, what did I say? Hosea nine fifteen. If you really study the Bible, you got to quit thinking things, thinking you have the answers to God, because says you can't, you can't think like I think. Hosea nine fifteen. Nine fifteen. Speaking of Israel, all through here, he says all their wickedness. He's prophesying against Ephraim particularly. Well, he says that in verse thirteen. Ephraim is that. Ephraim is northern Israel. That's where Ahab brought in Bel in the grove when he married Jezebel. Ephraim is northern Israel. Ephraim, as I saw, Tyrus is planted in a pleasant place. But Ephraim shall bring forth his children through the murderer. It, you'll take them over to these to these altars of Molech and burn your children in the fire of Molech, and you'll murder your children. Give them, O Lord, what wilt thou give? Give them a miscarrying womb and dry breast. All their wickedness is in Gilgal. Gilgal was the first city where they settled when they came in out of the 40 years in the wilderness. For there I hated them. For the wickedness of their doings, I will drive them out of mine house. I will love them no more. All their princes are revolters. Ephraim is smitten. Their root is dried up. Ephraim, northern Israel, because God hated them for what, what they were doing. Now, go back over here to Romans 9. I'm just kind of taking some time with this. So after he says he loved Jacob and hated Esau, these people have the same question that Paul anticipates from the world after he said God loved Jacob and hated Esau. In verse 14, this is what Paul knows the world is going to retaliate with. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? 
Why would he even ask that question? The only reason I ask that question is because people are going to say, well, that's unrighteous for God to hate one and love the other before they're born. God can do what he wants to do. You're going to talk back to God? For he said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. In other words, he's saying, don't anybody talk back to me. I do what I want to do. Look over there in Exodus thirty-three nineteen. Exodus thirty-three. That's where he. That's where he says this. Exodus thirty-three. I hope you can see when we answer these people, you don't use your your reasoning. When you look at the Bible, you don't say, listen to some slick talker say, well, God knew knew Jacob would uh, accept him in the future. No, nobody's going to accept him because there's none that seeketh after God. Nobody seeks God. If God doesn't chase each one of us down, turn our hearts around and our heads around to seek him, we'll all go to hell. 33. 19. And he tells Moses, I will make all my goodness to pass before thee. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. I do what I please. Don't talk back to me. I love the verse over in Isaiah 40. In Isaiah 40. You might want to write this down because I love this. When you argue with God about sending somebody to hell on purpose, this is what I want to ask people that say this. Isaiah 40 and verse 13. Who hath directed the Spirit of the Lord, or being his counselor, hath taught him what he needs to be doing and doesn't need to be doing? We don't have any right to call God down. He says the same thing over there in Job 38. Look at Job 38. People are talking back to God when they say, I don't like what you've done. Job I love this in verse 2 of chapter 38 who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge you don't have any knowledge and you're going to darken God's counsel And he says back here in 37, in verse 19, Teach us what we shall say unto God, for we cannot order our speech by reason of darkness in our own minds. And I love that in 1 Corinthians. People are talking back to God 
when they say, I don't think it's right that he should do this. Therefore, I don't think he means that. What you're doing, you're denying Christ and you're contradicting his word and you don't believe him because you think you've got a better answer than he has. In 1 Corinthians, second chapter, last verse there. Who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? We have the mind of Christ. We follow the mind that God has us to have. I don't care how many people he sends to hell. That's his business. (coughs) Somebody told me one morning after I preached on this years ago, they said, you really put that in perspective about predestination this morning? I said, how's that? Somebody told me, said, well, you said that if God wants to send my mother to hell, that's his business. And it is. I don't know where my mother went when she died. She was real gentle, real quiet, never cussed, never said anything bad to anybody, but she didn't like predestination. I don't know where she went. Now, let's go back over here to Romans 9. I'm just going through this real slow. The whole idea of verse six, of verse 14 is unrighteousness with God. The reason Paul puts that in here is because he knows people are going to object to God loving somebody and hating the other before they're born. And then he says in verse 16, he's answering this. So then it is not of him that willeth. It's not about a man's will, whether he gets to go to heaven. It's about the will of God. Nor of him that runneth the race in life. Paul is always using these agon, the arena terminology for the trials. Nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. And then he tells you he hated Pharaoh. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee. In Exodus 14, God takes Pharaoh down into the Red Sea and pulls the chariot wheels off in that 14th chapter says, now drive against my people. You think he loved Pharaoh? No, he hated Pharaoh. He said, I took you down in the sea, pulled your wheels off, just so I can show my power and that my name will be declared through all the earth when people find out and say, there God destroyed the greatest army in the world in the Red Sea. You can read that after the last Passover in chapter 12 of Exodus. You read in chapter 14, they come up to the Red Sea and God puts a big wall of fire to protect the children of Israel. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy and whom he will he hardeneth. I want one of these people that says, well, God knew who would accept him. No one would accept him because All have sinned. There's none righteous, not one, and nobody seeks God. I can't say that enough. If God doesn't touch a man's heart and a woman's heart, you're not going to come to him. Do I have any time, Mike?
11. Let me read on down to the end of this and see if I can take my time in it. Thou wilt say unto them, well, if this is true, and he ordains everything, and he ordains the good and the evil, why does he yet find fault? That goes with all these verses about replying against God. Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Who do you think you are? Is what he's saying. Shall the thing formed us say to him that formed us, Why have you made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump? <clears throat> the word lump, faruma, P-H-U-R-A-M-A. P-H-U-R-A-M-A. Floruma. It's talking about the lump of clay which was Rebecca's womb. <clears throat> Hath not the power of power of the clay of the same lump? <clears throat> the word lump means swelling or bulk. <clears throat> That's in the womb of Rebecca. To make one vessel unto honor Jacob and one to dishonor Esau. And you cannot find, hardly find Esau's dishonor in the Old Testament. But you, know, you don't have to find it to know that's what God did because he said he did. It doesn't say what if. It says God willing to show, here's why he did it. He wanted to show the orgay of man. He wants to make it known to the world. Why would he want to show the orge man's rage and anger? It doesn't say his wrath. It says the feminine wrath in the original text. So it can make his power known when he destroys all those vessels of wrath fitted to destruction and hell forever. Why was why if he's God, can he do what he wants to do? I guess he can. And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy just simply because he wants to show it on who he wills, which he hath the four prepared to glory. Even us, even us, whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. If he wants to show his mercy on us, that's his business and none of ours. We can't argue with God. I love this. Now, go back over here to the 8th chapter. Now, there's a that 30th verse shows that this was done in the past. When he says, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. Well, that word predestinate, prohorizo, is past tense. It's aorist indicative. Aorist indicative always means past tense. Past. He's predestined us before the foundation of the world. He's chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Us doesn't mean everybody in the world. He was writing to the Ephesians when he said that, 
He's chosen you and me believers before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him walking in his commandments. It says in love, but it's in agape. He's going to show that we're going to walk in his commandments in the world. When he says in verse 30 of chapter 8, Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Called kaleo, that's part of the word church. Ek kaleo is the word church called out. Ek, K-A-L-E-S-I-S. I don't know what I'm doing, I'm spelling it wrong. E-K-K-L-E-S-I-S. It's a form of ek and kaleo. Whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And the called out is the church. It's a specific people. It's not everybody. It's just a particular group of people. The ones he called from the foundation of the world. And whom he called them, he also justified. Now this is really... When he says, them he also justified, that's also past tense. Justified is the word D-I-K-A-I-O-O. It means to pronounce or render innocent. He has rendered his people innocent from the foundation of the world in his mind, and he's going to call every one of them and call them into the fold, and they will all be the only ones that go to heaven. He's justified, rendered us innocent in his mind before the world began. We couldn't have been lost. And whom he justified them, he also glorified. Doxa. He has glorified us in his mind with glorified bodies before the foundation of the world. It all happened before the world began. That's why he says in 2 Thessalonians 2.13, We are bound to give thanks all to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you people at Thessalonica unto salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. You're going to be sanctified, hagiosmos. You're going to be made holy. If you live long enough, you'll become holy in the flesh. You've got to live a long time to start giving up yourself and your sin. I am tired. I'm old. I'm out. I don't want to fight against God no more. I don't want to fight against any people. If people have made me their enemy, you can fight with me, but I ain't going to fight with you. You can fight me and throw stones at me. It's like Paul was writing in the Philippians, the first chapter. He said, there's some men preaching. They're preaching out of strife, out of envy, and they're giving Paul a hard time, and they're trying to... They're trying to uh, preach out of envy. And he says, it don't matter if they'll tell the truth. 
He said, one, the one preached Christ out of contention. There are guys at the church in Philippi. He was in prison when he wrote to the, the Philippians. The one preaches Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds. He's got some enemy young preachers over there at Philippi. And the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, just Christ is preached, just preach it. If you want to be envious of me and throw stones at me, that's okay. Just preach the truth. That's all. If you think I'm going to fight you, I'm not. Am I out of time? Two minutes. I got an article in this book. It's about this right here that I just quoted you. This is by G. Gresham Machen. He wrote a lot of books. He wrote the beginning of Beginners for Greek, a book that was used to most of the seminaries. And he brings this out about Paul. He said, Christian teachers at Rome had been jealous of Paul's greatness. As long as he had been at liberty, they had been obliged to take a secondary place. But now that he is in prison, they seize the supremacy. And that's what a lot of people want to do. Well, if Jim Brown can die, we'll go over and take over. They sought to raise up affliction for Paul and his bonds. They preached Christ even of envy and strife. In short, the rival preachers made of preaching the gospel a means to the gratification of low personal ambition. It seemed to have been about as mean a piece of business as could be conceived. That's what Mr. Machen said about what Paul wrote in that first chapter of Philippians. They were just being mean to Paul when he was in prison, and he wasn't going to live out of prison. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, thank you for truth. Teach us how the best way to defend your word is to speak the word. We don't have to defend you. You're God. We don't have to declare your righteousness. We will declare it by saying your truth. Fight our battles. We give you praise for everything in Christ's name. Amen. I like that. Who's that? Oh. Well, we learned a little about Jacob, didn't we? Jacob have I loved, but I shouldn't have. Some stuff, Chris. Are you learning some? I'm talking to him back there. <laughs> Davis, what you doing? I told you I left your message, you know, and you hadn't heard it yet.
So if you have a minute, Thanks I'll for let the you know what's going on. Okay. Dave, how you doing? Hey, Rusty. Hey, how you doing? Hang on. How you doing? I love you. Thank you. I love you, too. I needed it. Me too.